In this episode of the Better Health Podcast, Lynn Forbes and Luisa Zondo open up about the loss of their sons, aka Enrique Rick, respectively. The following program contains mature themes that could be triggering. I don't know how you experience that, but for, for us as a family, as a mom, what I saw every day and had to deal with every day was a son that was on the couch. Most of the day, for months, he was on the couch watching TV, playing games. He was writing music, but he he was not interacting. So because, the, you know, on social media, a whole different narrative was playing out. In his life, uh, a different uh, situation was happening. Um I think he kind of disconnected completely at some point from social media because, you know, people, and, and I'm sure you've gone through this, and, but I'm trying to explain how I gone, and, and I don't know how much of that Ricky might have experienced uh, in his life, you know, but I, I'm trying to talk about male, men's mental health, mental health in general, but how difficult it is within this industry. Mm-hmm. And I think being a hip-hop artist, having to to have a certain, you know, what people expect of a rapper, yeah. what that life should look like, what that person should look like. And often we forget that that is a human being. And then when we just get to social media itself, people seem to forget that your phone is a little tool that you can, you know, you wake up at what time of the morning and let me quickly write a few things here. Let me see what's trending and let me comment there because I also want to put my five cents worth in there. But what you're doing is you are feeding a narrative of something in this case, maybe of Kenan, where there is you 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 feeding off information that you get secondhand through the media or wherever you're getting it from, but you actually don't know the real truth of what is happening. You uh, you you commenting on things as a person that is not fully informed of something, and every comment, everything that goes out, add on to that the destruction of that person's life. And a family's life. You know, I, I look at our situation and what you do as a family is you, you kind of just, all you can really do is let it run. Mm-hmm. But um, if I look at how I was at my house and Kenan would be at his house and I would phone him. And you can hear he's, he's literally, and I think he sings about it. He, he talks about it on his album now, how there was really, you know, in that of that period in his life where there's literally... Nothing going on with him and he is just going through the motions because you actually almost can't do anything about it. And and I'm looking at my, at some point I would go to his house and I would just be in a different room. He was so disconnected from everything that he, you know, he didn't want to have conversations. He was just, he was just saying to me, you know, he couldn't deal, I think, with what people were accusing him of. That was probably for him the most difficult thing. And on the other side of it, he was not willing to tell another narrative because that was not the person that he was. He was not going to speak badly about somebody that he loved so deeply. 
and he let it run. And he, and, but you see, again, what he did was he said, I will take whatever comes to me. But that is exactly the problem. In doing that, it affects your mental health so badly that I think at some point in his life, Ken, and, and also he talks about the day when he talks about thinking about putting a noose around his neck. Mm. Thank God he didn't for us. That, But I think sitting with you now and understanding that he could have very easily. And it doesn't make you a weaker person or it just means that you just get to a point where you just don't have the answers anymore, maybe. And and I don't know. I mean, but but for me, uh, I, I really think that with social media and um, freedom of speech and we have all of this stuff, but people have to understand that there are boundaries to freedom of speech. I think freedom of speech is something that people misunderstand completely. And when you go out there and you just say things about people and not even understanding that maybe you have, um, you know, you want to hurt Kenan. And I think that a lot of it that was about assassinating his character. Mm. There was this narrative of gender-based violence. And again, people don't know the real story. People don't know the images that they saw or the screenshots that were released. They don't know the story behind those things. What happened with that for me as a mom, and this is something I haven't really shared, is that there was a comment that I was okay. I okayed the the gender-based violence, which was never proven. The gender-based violence was something that was just a narrative that ran. But some journalists made a comment that I was aware of it and I allowed it. I was cancelled behind the scenes. So every single person that's ever worked with me for a year cancelled whatever work they were doing with me. And people don't even know about that. So people don't understand for a year, for more than a year, I had no income. Mm. By a, a simple comment that somebody made and they have absolutely no idea of what really transpired in that whole situation. Um, You know, so I think if one thing can, you know, I really wish we could find a way for people to be more aware of understanding that every single time you pick up your phone and you type something, you know, how it affects another person's life and the, the the mental health of that person and how it affects that and the pressures that you put on people. These are people that have families that they need to take care of. These are people that have children that they need to take care of. And unless you actually have proof of what you're saying, don't just run with a story that you have no idea what the truth around that story really is. That was, I feel, uh, you know, the, the the mental, the depression, the mental health issues that Kenan deal, dealt with for that period. So when, when Ricky died, it just, for him, uh, I think that's why it was really hard for him. Because I think in that time that Ricky died, he went through the same thoughts in his head. Lynn, when you touch on um, mental health, and and well-being in general that's that's a huge huge mm-hmm. subject it's it's so all pervasive it affects everything 
everything in our lives. And for men, there is depth of peculiarity there um, for men because of how um, messages from society so come so strongly um, upon them, requiring them not to engage mm. with what they are feeling, with how they are impacted by life, requiring them to um, maintain certain images in a particular way. I mean, all of us are affected by that, but it seems that for men in particular, mm. there's much, much more. And that's why the statistics, um, and experts will tell us about this, the statistics do show us that the prevalence of suicide amongst men, men. young men, is disproportionately high. And so when you talk about how Kenan was so affected mm. by social media and, and just uncaring communications around a very, very complex situation that affects not only his life, but lives of families. Yeah. This is a real challenge. It's a real societal challenge. And it always brings me to this message that Ricardo um, left, and I, and I write about it in the book, where he learned from Sam Mutsuenyane, uh, the founder of um, African Bank, where he says his mantra in life has been always leave a little room in your heart for the next person. So once you have that room in the heart for the next person, before you send that vitriolic attack spurred by the fact that you don't see anybody here, you're only seeing a screen, then you, yeah. you know, you, you're playing into airs that mm. may be coming out, narratives that may be, be popular. Just allow that room in your heart to guide how you deal with situations. And we always must leave mm. the questions around things that we feel we are certain about. Just a question. Mm. Could it have been Could it have been different, different from what I'm hearing? So Ricardo was affected by social media, mm. deeply so. Yeah. And he struggled to deal with people's meanness, people's uncaring, people's uh, hatred, which you don't find when the gadgets are removed. Mm. When in person, the people would be different. But when you put them in that space of engaging with the technology, you get something very different. I, on the other hand, Maybe because I'm, I've, I've never been so active in social media, but I used to follow what was happening with my son. So I, I would be aware of things that were bad, that were coming out in social media, things that were, were hurtful, and I would go into it. I would keep myself aware, but I would not allow myself to be attacked by it. Mm. And I always had the sense that people are going through stuff. Mm. And in their hurt, 
in 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 their desperation, in in the, in their search to soothe themselves, they do tend to be hard. They do tend to be hateful. They do tend to be attacking and They're projecting. Absolutely. And so I, I would protect myself from taking in the hurt of social media from that perspective. But I would observe how my son would be really attacked by it, would, would suffer from um, people's uncaring uh, attitudes and, and, and actions. And that's why he, he would always call on us to be loving. He would call on us to be caring for each other. He would call of us, on us to hold each other, to be together. And we build on that legacy. Now, we see that as his legacy, now, the legacy to be, yeah, to be loving and caring. So when um, that strange thing happened, after all care was taken to manage the note that Ricardo had, had left, we, it, we don't even have suspicions. It's clear where the, the, the leaks would have happened because mm. the police had this information. And when media really unethically publishes material like that, which they would have um, obtained, you know, in unethical ways, that is hurtful. Yeah. But it is important for us to realize that society allows us to behave in this way. And if more and more call on us to question whether this is how we want to be, perhaps we will start uh, bringing in the more caring side of, of ourselves because we all have that. So, yeah, social media, uncaring industries, these things devastate our mental health. It does. They devastate our well-being. And these are things that we must change. Mm. I really do think there is a lot of room for industries to engage with the subject of how we are. You know, I, I remember the note and um, what society do, what we as a people do, we share and we reshare and we reshare and we just it just becomes this wildfire that spreads. It was the same with the video of, um, you know, the, the CCTV footage of Kenan shooting. Um, you know, I I never watched that video because I tried to avoid watching it. And I and even now, at some point, I went through, how do I get rid of it? Mm. I don't want Kakaru to one day see that video. And I wish, as you say, when, and again, you know, in your case, the note was released and you, you kind of think how, and you don't even think because there's only one way. And I think, who would have released that video? Mm. How do you take this brutal shooting of my child, mm. somebody that we, you know, that you love and that is part of a family and that is a father to a child, and you put out his his assassination out into the public space? If you just for a moment, forget about me, mm. think, keep some space for his daughter because she's eight years old. Mm. And one day she's going to see her father being killed on a video, you know, where do, how do, how does society operate? And, and that's what you're talking about. And I think, um, you know, that video 
by the time it was Saturday morning, I think by not even 24 hours later, it was all over social media. Now, I never watched it. And then um, one day, I because obviously I do a lot of work on social media, I cannot be on social media, but I somebody actually. So what I did is I would, if it comes up, I would just scroll past it. But then they went a little bit further and they shortened it. Mm. So somebody went and shortened it to the clip where the guy comes up and just mm. shooting. And I couldn't scroll past it. And that's how I first saw my child, mm. like, literally just falling to the, to the street, you know. And, and I, I'll never be able to understand how people... Um, you know, in that moment, as you say, when you share that video, when you shorten it and make it available, that you don't know, think that there are actually people, yeah, that will be so distraught by this thing, mm. you know. And uh, and then that uh, and it and it it bothered me for a very long time, uh, for a couple of months, because only recently I actually had a dream. Um, you know, of Kinnani came in my dream and. And he knows that I, um, I, I feel like it was a real visitation. And he asked me, he said to me that this video is, mom, he said, this video is haunting you because you, um, you know, you haven't seen the full video and you're worried about whether I was in pain, mm. whether I saw, and he said to me, I want you to watch the video mm. because it will set you free. It will release you. He said, Mom, it's not that bad, mm. you know. Mm. I went looking for it, and I couldn't find it on YouTube. It was all blurred out, and I found it on Twitter. Mm. And I watched, that was probably a month ago, was the first time I saw that video. And um, I think what it brought me was, firstly, it was, it was really hard watching my child die. But I think... What it did bring me was that once I've watched it, I, I really do believe now that he didn't suffer. Yeah. It makes me feel a little bit better that he didn't stare death in the face. It wasn't like they came from the front. Yeah. But, um, yeah, so those are the things I feel people, I like what you said. I feel if we can just get that message out, Louisa, that mm. keep some space in your heart. Mm for people that are, you know, for, for someone. In my case, forget about me. Keep some space in your heart for Cairo, mm -hmm. you know. Thank you for sharing that, uh, Lynn. It just, um, it brings me to this sense of what do we do to make it better for ourselves? Mm -hmm. And for me, one of the things that had in, in a, a paradoxical uh, way of presenting itself to me was that I, I immersed myself in Ricardo. I from, from day one, yeah. on those nights where sleep was impossible, I was in everything, videos, music. I was going into and into and more and more into my son as a way of just coping. Mm. And yet that is what was also causing me to just be flawed, just, just to feel the pain in the depths of me the way I never, never even could have imagined that pain can present itself. itself. 
but for you, what is it? How is that? How, how, what do you do to to, to get make the sense of it? <laughs> to yeah. get through the moments? Yeah. I must tell you, in the beginning, right? Um, it's now going on to eight months mm-hmm. now this week, and. One of the first things I did was I very early on made a decision to to celebrate Kenan mm. and to accept. I think it's really important to accept mm. that as hard as it is, but to accept that, to acknowledge that he died mm. and to accept that he is no more. Mm. And that made it easier for me to, to then switch switch into celebrating him. And I did the same things, as you say, I immersed myself in the good memories of him. Um, I, um, you know, I would talk about him all the time. I would share stories about him as a person and I would listen. You know what helped me a lot was hearing stories about him. So what you mentioned earlier on, as much as social media could become so negative. Mm. What I've also realized is that actually it's a small percentage that comes with that, but there are so many people. I mean, Kenan has the magazine, you know, this fan base that is just incredible Mm. and they will support him. If I look at what's happened post his death, Mm. there's so many things, but I have changed what I listen to. Yes. I listen to the good stories and not that I want to, you know, um, Kenan was no angel. I always say he's, he's probably an angel now, but he wasn't an angel always when he was on earth. Yeah. But but he was a good person. Yes. So, and something that was important that you said earlier on was social media could be so negative, but when you actually come face to face with people in the public space, and I've been with Kenan a lot, I've never once in my life found anybody coming up to him and having anything negative to say to him. People would be embracing and endearing and they loved him. And so so I think that is one thing I do. Another thing I do is I stay close to him in physical things. Mm. I wear his, this is his shirt. Oh, yeah. And I wear his face around my neck. Mm. I keep I listen to his music and I and I listen to the lyrics and I I really understand his he is telling his own stories in his in his album. Mm. Um I don't deny myself my grief. Yes. I I sit with it. Mm. I walk with it. Mm. I understand that this is the new me mm. because Lynn Forbes that was there on the 10th of February is not the same person anymore and will never, ever, forevermore be the same person. I'm changed. Mm. Uh, my whole life has been reset completely, but I'm not fighting that. And I'm and I'm taking those things on board and um you know, turning what I can into positives. And I'm I also, I'm way more aware of the small things that are the big things, yeah. you know. Yeah. Like you said, family, um, I don't take things for granted that much. Um, I, 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 I stop to look at beautiful things. I'm, I notice life in a different way mm. because it's so, so fragile and it can disappear so quickly. And I think that's what we, what we both have. But I think the most important thing, if I, if I could 
and it hasn't been that long for me. You probably have so much more to share because you've got a longer time that you've had to live with this and, and uh, I'm sure it changes all the time. I've also realized that, that the grief is so unpredictable. You know, the little things can trigger me and I could have really good days and then there's really bad days. But I think for me, what is, because people ask me, how do you do this? And I think for me, it is about getting off the couch and going and sitting on the chair. It's the little steps I take every day. And that's how I, the shifts. It's the little things, but also understanding that this is real and I cannot sweep it under the carpet. The only way to get to the other side is through it. Yeah. I can't bypass it. Absolutely. And that's where our growth That's where our growth happens. Thank you. Yes. Um, I don't know if you've got anything else because you've been going, I mean, you, you've, You've probably gone through. You know what I what I haven't been able to identify, and I think it's it's fine like that. Is you know the stages of grief. Yeah, I don't know if that exists. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. I, I think we've been think we've only... been freed of that burden. Yeah. We yeah. grief presents it's itself just... as it presents, and you're right. Even you know there may be with time there may be longer periods mm-hmm. where we feel the flow is more understandable but even at the in, when we feel the flow is understandable we have these unexpected moments where we are flawed and we just have to to look at our grief sit with it allow it to do what it has to do and move from there allow the little shifts to happen from from there so it's an ongoing process um i i i was blessed with regard to some of the firsts and i had a young person who carried me so powerfully um be- just before the first mothers day on the 8th of may last year yeah and that was the first mothers day without him and she wrote in such a caring way. Uh, her name is Spongile uh, Gangwa. She was at Power FM and invited me to a conversation which made that period of First Mother's Day such a blessing for me because I was engaging um, with her after she had engaged with children who had lost their parents, and I was engaging up, up from the perspective of a mother mm. losing a child. Mm. And there was so much holding from so many because we all need to share our stories yes. because we build and we get some insights. We get some language. I was getting a lot of language that, I, that fits what I could not explain to myself because I didn't have the language for that. So mm. it's a process, I think, even this conversation, yes. it's, Part of that process. It's part of, of the healing. healing. Yeah. So you're talking about firsts uh, because my first Mother's Day was also the first uh, mm. because they, you know, that was that time of the year. In my case, I really dreaded it. I really, really dreaded it. But I, I think what, um, what I always, what I thought about was, you know, our children were when it was these. Uh, there was a, there was a point in my life where I realized that 
you know, Christmas doesn't necessarily happen on Christmas. It could be two weeks later because he might be working and Mother's Day could be and my birthday could be five months later, whatever. So I kind of prepared myself thinking, you know, he's not here, but if he was alive, maybe he wouldn't have been here. Maybe he would have been performing somewhere else. So I wouldn't have seen him anyway. But it doesn't work like that because he's not there because he died. And uh, But what happened for me is I dreaded it, but I'm very blessed with like you are with a family that is supportive and not just my own family, not just Stefan and uh, my other son, but there's the whole extended blended family. So when it comes to Zintle and Nadia and Bongani, Zintle's husband now, um, you know, they made sure that Mother's Day was not going to be a lonely time for me. And then the next one was my birthday, which is always a special thing because between myself and Kenan because he, he always, you know, Mom, where, do, where are we going for lunch or where are we going for dinner? And they made sure that we had a beautiful family lunch. And I think it was not as hard, to be honest, as to what I thought it would be because I was surrounded with so much love yeah. and so much care. And and I think that's when I also realized that, you know, I've lost one son. Yes. I've got so much left and I need to focus on what's alive and here, but not forget him. And for me, the focus with Kenan now is really just, I don't have to build his legacy mm-hmm. because he's done a really good job. I have to just preserve his, his legacy and celebrate him. But then I need to live life with the people that are alive with me. Yeah. Ah, thank you so much. Thank you so much, Lynn. It, it really, really was helpful. I never imagined uh, that it was going to be this meaningful for me to have the same. Yeah, the same for me. Absolutely. It's such a... I think it's quite healing to have these conversations. I mean, these conversations, and that's why I think we should do them more often. Yeah. Yeah. But this was great. Thank you. Yeah. And so um, we've also invited an expert, Julie Schill, to give some insights um, to the viewers mm. about what they can do, how they can hold uh, themselves through. Uh, grief and, and and traumatic experiences, and so now we invite Julie to join us. Thank you, Louise and Lynn, for sharing your tragic story. My name is Julie Shaw. I'm a trauma counsellor, and I work extensively with trauma. I would like to give mothers who have suffered grief pointers. To begin with, the natural cycle of life is for a child to bury a parent, not the inverse. So when this happens, it has a feeling of tremendous helplessness and powerlessness, which is actually what defines trauma. And with that comes what we call unfinished business. So many questions we have that we will never have answers to Maybe if I'd done this, maybe if I'd done that, I could have, I should have. We will never be able to have those answers because it is unfinished business. And because of that, there is no closure because we were not able to say goodbye. It is a void that she cannot fill. She is not expected to fill it. And the mere fact that you feel the grief you do is testimony 
to the love and beautiful relationship you had with your child. Because if you never had that, there would be no grief. There would be no sorrow. Life would just continue as it did before. It is important to remember that we are each unique individuals. So when it comes to grieving, we cannot experience grief in the same way. We all have a unique way of experiencing this loss. There is no manual to follow. There is no timeline. It can take months and it can even take years. And if we are not coping over a long period of time, it becomes what we call complicated grief. And then we need to address it and seek help, which you need to know is readily available because you don't want to develop what we call post-traumatic stress disorder. Regarding the suicide of a child, the hardest part for the survivors of a suicide is the feelings of guilt and of shame. And I actually call it the three S's, secrecy, silence, and shame. But I would like to add another S, the fourth S, shout out. Go and get that help that you need. Because somebody who is hellbent on taking their life, they are in such a dark place, which I call a soul pain, that if they're not going to do it today, they're going to find the opportunity next week, next month, next year. You can never hold yourself responsible for the decision someone else takes regarding their life. And often the hardest part of moving forward is actually saying, I can let go of this pain and this intense grief because I do have a life and I need to live it. And there can be guilt around feeling, gosh, today I actually laughed or I didn't think about my son or daughter for half the day. And then it's comforting to carry that pain with you instead of giving yourself permission to move forward, allowing yourself to acknowledge that we are born with an inner resilience. It is our basic instinct to survive. And when we can acknowledge and honor the strength we find within ourselves, we can carry on. So there is a concept of post-traumatic growth, and I know this sounds paradoxical, but, and don't let somebody say to you, oh, um, concentrate on your other children, or you've been grieving too long, or um, get over it now and, and, and pull yourself together, because they cannot and will never be able to understand what you have gone through. It's an intensely personal journey. They can never say to you, I know how you feel, because quite simply, they don't. It's platitudes and cliches. Perhaps you want to honor the memory of your loved one, you might want to create a charity in their name or something that was very dear to them you want to continue to pursue also in their name. 
Some people support orphanages. Some people support abused women. There are many options that you can turn to to perpetuate the memory so that that person is living with you constantly. You can never sever the tie with a child. They are part of your flesh and blood. They are there forever as part of you. So in essence, my message is one of hope, is one of resilience, that you know you can heal. And if you are struggling, you must reach out. Your trauma does not have to define you. It is only part of what will be many of your life experiences. It is normal to experience an existential crisis, to ask, what is the meaning of my life? What relationships matter to me? Do I want to change my work? Do I want to leave the country? Um, do I want to change my views about my religion, get more involved, less involved? There are all these questions that you will find will naturally occur in the process of mending your grief. If you or someone you know is struggling with mental health issues and is in need of help, visit sadic.org or call 080-012-1314. You are not alone.